You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Asiatic lions, they are different to an extent, so you're going to want to listen to that. You may think, oh, I know lions. I'll tell you, you don't know this story. What can they teach us? But as far as vaccinating wildlife, uh, I I haven't really thought about it. Uh, (laughs) But when these small, especially with these small populations, it Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. John sounds a little hungry tonight in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Uh, I think the last time we talked about lions many, many years ago, mm -hmm. I believe John and I had a roar off, if I do remember correctly. Yeah, and you won that. You actually won that, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. baby, that's right. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. That was episode uh, fifty-two. So, in our first year of the podcast, uh, but today, you know, pivoting a little bit, talking about Asiatic lions. This, it, it, it's they are different to an extent. So, you're going to want to listen to that. You may think, oh, I know lions. I, I'll tell you, you don't know this story, or most. Probably most of our listeners don't. I'm sure some of you do. But just an incredible conservation story. These were down to as low as maybe 12 animals uh, left in India. And now today, over 600, close to 674, according to what I saw via IUCN. And it's an amazing story, but brings up so many questions about lion conservation in Asia and in Africa. Well, yeah, Chris, and I just love the Asiatic lion conservation story because it is good news. I mean, you and I do talk about a lot of doom and gloom on this podcast because that is the reality that a lot of these animals are facing. But this is a feel-good story. And it was really just fascinating to learn about it this week. And of course, their behavior and their physiology, they're a beautiful lion, a uh, subspecies of African lion. But really getting a handle on a how a whole bunch of people came together and are still coming together to fight for the Asiatic lion's survival. And it's working. Mm -hmm. It's almost Mm -hmm. working too well. And we'll talk about that on the podcast uh, because their population has increased steadily since 2010. Now, India's doing an amazing job with them. I mean, it's reading the studies, reading the articles on it, watching the videos of how serious India has taken in protecting these lions and the locals, the t- total local buy-in, it, it's arguably, and, and probably is one of the top conservation success stories. I mean, next to, you know, we talk about California condors and all these other stories we've talked about uh, over the years, Asiatic lion is actually probably top five. I mean, they're down to to maybe a dozen like Przewalski horse. And, and now yeah. here we are with hundreds and increasing. <laughs> 
and doing very well. So it's, it's going to be a fun podcast. You're going to learn because everybody loves lions. And, and this is a, going to be an exciting one to talk about. Just real quick, want to thank Paul for joining us on Patreon. Again, the support helps pay uh, to produce the podcast and also for our website. So again, Rachel out there, thank you for doing that and our social media presence. Again, you know, a cup of coffee a month. You're supporting this podcast and supporting conservation because we are giving back. And especially with Plastic Free July coming back, that's a month where we support so many different organizations and trying to to help clean up our oceans. So stay tuned for those episodes start dropping in a few weeks. And as always, uh, please drop us a five-star review on iTunes and a couple kind words would be nice. We actually haven't had any shout outs for the past couple months. So if you could go up on iTunes and uh, rate and review this podcast, that would be awesome. Yeah. All right. Describing the Asiatic lion, I guess if, if you can compare, there are some differences with mm-hmm. the African lion. Uh, but generally look the same. But but again, like I said, there, there's some different details. So so what is that? Yeah, the Asiatic lion is very similar uh, to their cousin, the African lion, in looks in that males have manes. However, the mane of the Asiatic lion is smaller and more sparse. So it's not quite as thick and bushy. And when you look head on at an Asiatic male, adult male lion, you'll be able to see their rounded ears. Where typically with a male African lion, you there's so much fluff going on in that dark colored mane that you can't see their ears. So that's one difference. And probably the most striking difference that I was able to recognize after I started watching a lot of the videos. Uh, in fact, there's a, I have to give a huge shout out to a video I watched actually on YouTube. It was a free documentary all about Asiatic lions. And it's called Lions in India, a wildlife documentary by nature. And it was just incredible footage. I mean, just just very well done. And the documentary was showing some of um, the, the lions that actually travel outside of the gear protected area and how that's unfolding as they start to interact more in uh, more urban areas. So great documentary, amazing footage. And in there, you can really start to hone in and see one of the biggest differences is that the Asiatic lions have a flap of skin on their bellies that hangs down further than, I guess, on an African line, you wouldn't even really see that and see this skin. And uh, both males and females have it. And so that really sets them apart with this, uh, I guess, this loose skin folds, if you will, on their abdomen. So the African lines don't have that. And then the last difference is that the Asiatic lions are slightly smaller than the African lions, right? So uh, in general, you're going to see an uh, Asiatic lion weighing between three and 500 pounds. So, yep. uh, I mean, they're still very big, powerful. Big. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless they were side by side, you probably couldn't make that comparison in size, but uh, it, it, they are slightly smaller. Yeah, they're... Looking that up, the the Central African lions tend to be a little bit smaller than other African lions on the savannas or in South Africa. I mean, body lengths uh, six feet six or almost two meters uh, on the Asiatic lions, and then if you add in the tail, they can you know as long as nine feet five inches, so from nose to tail. 
So still massive. And then upwards of like 47, 48 inches or 120 centimeters at the shoulder. It's almost four feet tall. So they're, they're big. And then, like you said, cap out about 500 pounds. Whereas the largest African lion ever weighed was almost close to 800 pounds. And I don't know what that is. That's 350 kilograms or something like that. So uh, yeah, not quite as big, but still big. Still big, right? I mean, they're, very they're, big and very yes. impressive. And the same thing with that iconic mane. I mean, it still yeah. is very, very impressive. Uh, and the Asiatic lions, it's just, I guess, not as as thick and full <laughs> as their African cousins. Now, when you talk about distribution, this, and this is kind of their story too, which I'm going to get into a little bit today. But today, they're only in the Gear National Forest in India, which it's in the southeast region of India. If, if India kind of looks like a shark tooth, and it's in the top left corner, I guess is kind of where you would see it uh, near there. Oh, that's a great description, Chris. And yeah, the Gear Protected Forest uh, is actually in the Gujarat area, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's where they're found. Yeah, I definitely want to get get there one day, uh, get to India. I, I know. I will tell you, I mean, obviously there's lots of places on my bucket list, but spending a week with these Asiatic lions and watching videos and reading about them, I'm like, I need to go see these guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. India's doing some amazing stuff with not yeah, lions and tigers. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the country, yeah. of course, too. But I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just very impressed by their conservation and it, uh, it's just, I wanted to be be part of this history, this amazing history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and the Bengal tiger has been a great success story there too, you know, with their conservation efforts. So hats off to them. Now, what's interesting is the Asiatic lion had a massive distribution before the last few hundred years. They've just been reduced to this small pocket in India. You had lions in Europe in parts of Greece, north of Greece, uh, in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, into the Caucasus, so the, the, the whole southern region of the Black Sea. You had Asiatic lions all in uh, the Middle East, so Syria, Israel, Jordan. Iran, all Iraq. the way, Yeah, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia. I mean, they were everywhere, Pakistan, Afghanistan. And then looking at the distribution, how over time it's just been squeezed out, hunted to near extinction, which is part of their story. And then we see that in the African line. Just to remind our listeners, I mean, we had the Barbary line, which is now extinct uh, in the north northern part. Oh, I went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Actually, last night, John's like, are you going to talk about the Barbary line? And I'm like, (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't, I don't know much about it. So I figured you would probably talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And they're extinct now. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. extinct. And you look at Mm -hmm. the, when you look at the historical distribution of lions, pretty much all throughout Africa, except the Sahara desert, like deep Sahara desert and the deep Congo, they were everywhere. Whereas today, now they're reduced to certain pockets of reserves and places uh, where they're at. And like, you know, we talk about population size, 674 last census of Asiatic lion. And you're talking less than 20,000, roughly, African lion. 
I know, Chris, that number was really staggering to me. I guess, I, I mean, I know we covered the African lion mm -hmm. several years ago, but I think that number has definitely declined since when we covered them several years ago. And it was just really striking to see the continent of Africa and known for their lions, for the African lions. And thinking like 20,000, that's, yeah, nothing. it's like nothing mm -mm, mm -mm. for the whole that's continent. Yeah. I mean, so that, yeah, that we we need to get another lion expert on here and and see see what's happening with their conservation and uh and their and their numbers because yeah that 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 really that that number made me really sad I, yeah yep yep and you and you you got to see them in the wild i remember seeing the videos <laughs> so. oh several <laughs> several times i've seen them in uh, uh let's see tanzania i heard them i was sleeping in mm -hmm. a tent in Tarangiri national park could he I don't know if I ever saw anybody. We heard them at nighttime. And then definitely saw them in Zambia and North Luanga and South Luanga National Parks, uh, sleeping as they do. And then most recently I actually saw them in action mm -hmm. at Kruger Park in South Africa. Yeah. At Kruger <laughs> National Park in South Africa, where they yeah. were it was a night a night drive that we were doing and uh, they were on the road like they owned it and they did. They owned mm -hmm. it and they were walking slow and I think that they had just either got done with a hunt or were getting ready for one. But it was pretty cool to see them moving in all their glory and their size from a safe di distance, of course. They walked uh, right by you. I know. Right yeah. Well, we're, we're high up though and it's yeah. Yeah, it was like a gated, uh, a couple people got like we kind of lean over and I'm like, that, 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 that wouldn't do well, that. We just had Corbin on a couple of months ago, and he was talking about sitting in the in the front of the Jeep, and the the male lion walked right next to him. Like he remember, he said they stunk really bad. <laughs> <It> just... <laughs> I didn't get any smells. Like I guess they didn't get close enough. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. But yes, lions are incredibly, incredibly impressive, majestic. <laughs> I mean, they bring to mind power and just beauty and. And so to be that close to them in the wild a couple of times is yeah. phenomenal. But most of the times they are sleeping. It's like the one yeah. animal that everybody wants to see. And if you are lucky enough to see them, most of the time they're sleeping under a bush. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, I was say, I've been up close to them and, and protected contact at the zoo, like right across the bars from them. You know, big Leo, his head is is way bigger than, I, I don't know. It, it was like three, four feet across. He was massive, massive male. Yeah, so, and they're one yeah, of John's favorite species mm -hmm. to work with at the zoo. So we used to be able to go behind scenes and training them and just mm -hmm, having that mm -hmm. intimate relationship with them, of course, through protected contact, but learning all about their personalities. And yeah, it's uh, they're a very, very special creature near and dear to our to our hearts, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and just I, in saying all this, it's to promote, you know, going out ecotourism, go to Africa. I remember talking to Bob Poole a few months ago and he understands, you know, with climate change, we need to reduce our carbon footprint. But on the other hand, you know, these safaris, uh, getting to India, that's where we started this whole off as we wanted to go to India, uh, going to these places and seeing these animals and, and, and putting our money there helps support these animals. That's the best way to do it. And like Angie said, the Gear Forest National Park in India is where the Asiatic lions are. It's about 550 square miles or 1,400 square kilometers. Well, yeah, Chris, it's a beautiful uh, track of land where these Asiatic lions inhabit. It has 
subtropical, dry, broadleaf forest, thorny forest. I mean, a lot of different flora and fauna in it. And so, uh, of course, it protects the Asiatic lion, but there's a, a, lots of other species to see. I was blown away by all the hoofstock species. In fact, <laughs> I even took pictures of some of them. I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. Chris, we need to cover this. Ooh, mm-hmm. we need to cover this. And one of the hoofstock, Chris, I fell in love with from the region is the uh, Nilgia or Nilgar. I'm probably mm-hmm. saying it wrong. It, mean, it literally means blue cow, and it's the largest antelope of Asia. Oh, wow. So I'm okay. not familiar, and I like to think that I'm a, you know, a hoofstock hoof and horn nerd. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just a lot. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of India, but it is the gear force itself is not that large. Uh, uh, like you said, the 500 plus square miles is a good size, but mm-hmm. I read that it was compared to an area smaller than greater London. Mm-hmm. So for our for our English listeners, I mean, it's big, but yeah. it's, yeah. For a big species that has large territories, yeah, it's it's not a lot. And, and, and that was... That area was de- declared a sanctuary in 1965. It's a little bit bigger, the whole area around it. So that's kind of the sanctuary. And then there are some surrounding areas that, that are dedicated to protect to protecting them, but also house them. So it's over like 800 square miles, roughly. But still, we know males have large territories. Prides have large territories. So they're going to be busting at the seams here pretty soon with Asiatic lions. Well, yeah, Chris, and then one of the most recent reports said because of this population growth, which is something we need to celebrate, and we're going to talk a lot about that today and all the incredible work that's gone into helping this population rebound, but about 30% of the lions present in the area reside outside of this protected area. And so they're, yeah. they're in closer proximities to humans. As Chris and I mentioned earlier, people that live in the areas are probably more wildlife friendly than maybe other areas that we've highlighted mm-hmm. here on the podcast. But of course, there is going to be some human cat conflict as they sometimes take down the cows that are living there. Yep. No, absolutely. And, you know, they are important and the locals do have buy-in. So I'm going to roll into the story of the Asiatic lion and wh- where we are today with them. How did they get there? So I'm going to go ahead and start with evolution, and then that will lead into telling the story about them and then some of the protections that are in place. I mean, very critical species for the area. I actually have a really good study that I shared with Angie on how, and this goes back to the 24 Lion Project that we had a couple of years ago. When you bring these predators back, how it helps other wildlife. So I'm going to tell that story here in a second. Just to kick off evolution with lions, we we did cover lions again, like in episode 52, and other cat species. They are a carnivore. So look at their classification, order, carnivores, 270 species, plenty to go. Dogs, bears, raccoons, seals, weasels, all of that in there. Uh, lions are felidae. So then you have 56 genera, 114 species. We, we love our kitties. We, we've covered quite a few of them. Oh, there's still a lot to cover, though. Yeah, yeah. And then my favorite factoid that still people that haven't heard this before, the one species you would think is a canid, but it's a felid, is our 
bone crunching. Hyena. Hyenas always. Mm-hmm. It's, I love that fact. People are like, what? You're like, yeah, they're they're more closely related to cats than dogs. Uh, lions are in Panthera, which are all of our big cats. So that includes lions, obviously tigers, jaguars, leopards, and snow leopards. So they're all in, in that group. In lion specifically, Panthera leo, two subspecies that are recognized generally. So you have the Panthera leo, which is the lion, African and Asiatic lion, which we'll talk about in a second. And then you have the Panthera leo melichida. And these are the Southern and East African species of lions. Now, Asiatic lions are still argued by some scientists that they are a subspecies, Panthera leo persica for the Asiatic lion. Okay. The Persian lion. Yeah, Persian lion. That's, they still think there is, but maybe there needs to be some more genetic studies between the two to, to really tease that out. Now, we know lions and all other carnivores after the, the fifth mass extinction 62 million years ago, they all go back to the myocids. 42 million years ago, this is the branch out of felids and canids. With the earliest cats, uh, about 35 to 28 million years ago, that really looked a lot like our cats today. Now, in that felidae lineage, Lions or Panthera broke out around nine to five million years ago, somewhere in. In that, the if, if people remember, tigers and snow leopards broke out first about three and a half, a little bit over three and a half million years ago. Then the jaguar broke off about three million years ago, and then you all you had left was lions and leopards, and they broke, you know, diverged about two and a half million years ago. Now, today's lion's ancestor, now remember, we had all those, we had the cave lion, we had the saber-toothed cats, we had all of these ancient felid species that are no longer with us. Today's lions, the the Asiatic lion, the African lion, about 125,000 years ago is when they've kind of emerged out and they evolved into the two subspecies. So the Asiatic and African lion, and then that East and South African subspecies broken. And about 55,000 years ago is when they think, and you see some different numbers, but when they think the lions started to populate Asia. And like I said, it went all the way from Greece, modern day Greece, all the way through most of India was uh, populated with lions. So you had millions of lions living in Africa and Asia, whereas today, maybe 20,000. Like, it's, it's insane to see how bad they, they have shrank. Now, looking at the history of lions, the last known lion spotted in Greece is about 400 AD. So, about 1,600 years ago, they went extinct in that part of the world. They were pushed out of Europe entirely in the Caucasus region, mountains, uh, about 1,000 AD. And that's when they think they were fully out of Europe. Then there was no more lions in Europe. Now, the great decline of lions. Well, the Asiatic lion is a little bit different, but just modern lions today. 
So if we look at the world population in Africa, about in the 1950s, so there's about, you know, over a million 1900s, 1950s, you had about uh, 500,000 lions in Africa. 1975, you had 200,000. In the 1990s, you had less than 100,000 to where today you think there was about 20,000 left in Africa. So massive, massive decline. That's why they're classified as vulnerable, uh, heading towards extinction. Alternatively, the endangered Asiatic lion, who was critically endangered, was hunted in Asia because Europeans, yeah, us, you know, my lineage way back when, liked to hunt and were in Asia and they were hunting lions left, right, and center. And in the 1880s is where they think it was just a few dozen, yeah, a dozen left, maybe 20, maybe a little bit more, but... uh, all the different sources, yeah, a handful yeah. of Asiatic mm-hmm. lions left in the gear at National Forest. So what happened, you know, so during the 1800s, this is where you saw a lot of hunting of lions where they started to disappear from Syria, Palestine, Arabia, uh, Iran. And the British imperialists and the, the Indian ma- Maharajas had shot all of the Asiatic lions in India until the small handful of lions left in the gear. Now, what happened? The Nawab of Junagar, I hope I said that right, uh, Sahib Sir Muhammad Razul Kanji II was out looking for an Asiatic lion for the Duke of Clarence to shoot in 1890. But he realized there was not many left and so what he did is he, he, he stopped the hunt. He declared gear a protected area. And then he was succeeded by his son in 1911, who absolutely loved the animals, and they banned all shooting in the gear to make sure the lions could survive. So over 100 years ago in India, in this, this region of India, they recognized that th- these animals were going extinct. And they said, nope, that's it. And they declared the whole area off limits for hunting or shooting. And then we know in the in 1960s, they put in, you know, focus conservation in 1965. And then in the 1970s, they started to protect more areas outside it. And the lion population has climbed back to where we have close to 700 today. Really quick, I did find that a quick paper that I, I mentioned earlier that I sent to Angie it is biological conservation about a, a 10 years ago. And it was a conservation success story in the otherwise dire megafauna extinction crisis, the Asiatic lion of the gear forest. And these are scientists out of India talking about when they protected this area for the lions, what they noticed is all the wild ungulates started to come back and their populations rose. Because humans had been grazing in there, livestock, a lot of, you know, taking over the area. And so a lot of what they said, spotted deer, wild boar, blue bulls, uh, shinkaras, four-horned antelope, all of these different species had reached very, very low numbers, have steadily been climbing, climbing, climbing over the past four or five decades. So now it's 10 times the numbers of there. So they did a 
just to give you an example, in 1974, there was a total of 180 Asiatic lions, 142 leopards, 63 hyena, only 9,640 wild ungulates, according to the survey. In 2010, the lions had gone up to 411, uh, leopards 310, 150 hyena, and close to 65,000 wild ungulates in that area. So when we talk about umbrella species, Angie and I use that term all the time, protecting the lions has had this benefit to all these other species. And that's just big ungulates. Imagine all the other types of birds and, and smaller reptiles and, and smaller mammals and all the others that live there. Well, absolutely, Chris. You bring up a great point that lions are umbrella species for all these other animals uh, in the regions in which they live. But they're also a keystone species, right? And so mm-hmm. that means they're really important predators and they're the only wild animals in the region where they live and in the gear forest that are big enough to bring down the large size, the medium and large size herbivores. Mm -hmm. And that helps keep the herbivore population in check because they're usually picking off a lot of times the older, weaker, sicker animals. And because of that, then that helps the herbivores not overeat the grasses and the trees and things like that, which helps the park maintain or the, the region in which these animals live, maintain a healthy ecosystem and a balance of the, the correct amount of grasses, trees, shrubber, shrubberies, all of that. So they're very important. And, and yes, taking Asiatic lions out of their natural habitat indefinitely changes the region. And yep. then when you put them back in over time, it'll, it will change back more to its historical ecosystem. Yeah, and that's what we uh, the the interviews we had with the twenty four lions and the fourteen cheetah in Mozambique shows how that region has been regenerated when you brought carnivores back. That's what you're seeing here. The, I think the other big part of this is the local buy in that is in that region. So the people of, of Gujarat or Gujaratis of Saurashtra, uh, and then it's also flanked by the Gulfs of Kutch and Kambat, these people are vegetarian. Uh, so they, they don't hunt uh, animals or lions. They're extremely devout Hindus. Uh, so they see these animals as, from a spiritual sense. And they actually do not mind when the lions actually kill their cattle. And that's actually, what was shown in the documentary yeah. I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they, it's, it's, they like were almost them, like cheering for him. Yeah. They want the, they, it's all part of nature and they see mm-hmm. the, the, the benefit of it. Uh, if they kill humans, they don't blame the lions. They're very proud of the lions. It says they, they're, they're very honored by their presence and they actually mourn the lions when they die. So having that type of buy-in with the local community has just led to this perfect balance of conservation from the government, so hats off to the government and to the locals and conservation experts uh, to protect them. So it's, it is an amazing, amazing conservation success story. Well, and it is. I mean, besides just a, a more of a tolerant culture, 
in general, I mean, the government worked really hard. They gave money compensation back for livestock kills. Of course, offered the lions legal protections. Locals were also able to earn lion-related profits. So you combine that with basically the religion and cultural sentiments. It's it was it's just it's it's incredible. It's it, it's not what we see over here in the U.S. when it comes no. to uh, predator, <laughs> large predator, yes. human conflict like with the wolves or something. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, so it is. It's a uh, it's a very it's a very hopeful story, and I think we we have a lot to learn from the locals in the area and how a lot of this has unfolded over time. But that doesn't mean, unfortunately, that the Asiatic lions of Deer Forest are completely out of the woods, pardon mm-hmm. the pun, or mm-hmm. are out of trouble because there is, uh, I tried to look into it a little bit more in depth, but there there is talk and there's been talk for a while about since their numbers are growing, what do we do with this extra population that now is starting to leave the protected park. Mm-hmm. And so a long while back, uh, there was the Asiatic Lion Reintroduction Project that was established. And it's basically a team of scientists and biologists and, of course, Indian government uh, leaders to work on establishing other wild populations uh, that are reproductively healthy and also protected besides the, the large population in the gear forest. But as I was reading about it, they, scientists have identified probably four other great relocation areas. But this project has gone back and forth and is hung up, I think, in basically just politics and courts and stuff like that, trying to figure out which area mm-hmm. should they move them? Is it really mm-hmm. necessary? And then if so, if they do move into which area, which area do they move in first? And so it's my understanding that nothing has been set in stone yet it's it's basically been in the works for many 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 years and it just keeps getting stalled out there are some bumps in the road uh as we as their population grows and figuring out okay now now, we've got this big population Mm -hmm. a growing population i shouldn't say big we have this growing population and now what's next and then you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen that say one thing and then somebody agrees and then the other one disagrees and so there's a lot of back and forth, and it'd be really fascinating to have an expert on to talk about this uh, Asiatic Lion Reintroduction Project, and where it yeah. stands, and what's happening next, and why it's stalled out so many times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to take a quick break. And coming up, you know, we've talked about this. What happens when you have such a small population? Because like Angie said, it, it's not just the conservation issues. There are some other ones, uh, population-wise, that we that 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 is working against them. So something to keep our eyes open for. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about that. Okay. Welcome back. And, you know, physiology wise, we've covered lions before just in our March madness, Angie and I were talking, uh, we did cover some of these facts too, with lions in general, but just as a quick recap, I mean, on average in the wild lions live eight to 10 years, similar for Asiatic can live over 20 under human care. Because the wild's tough. It's 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 a tough, tough place. Uh, lions are fast. Asiatic lions are just as fast, up to 50 miles per hour. Can leap, you know, 36 feet almost. So Wow, you know, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. yeah 10 meters. Uh that's that's uh yeah, watch out for them. But you know, very similar to our our friends in, in Africa. Very similar, you know, uh, physiology and, and things like that. 
Now, before the break, I, I kind of talked about some of the challenges. And with Asiac Lions, this is no different. I talked about it in the Big Beast interview uh, with producers because of the Saiga. I always go back to that story about how they just were dropping dead by the, the hundreds of thousands because of a disease, a bacterial disease in their nasal passages. Asiatic lions, again, somewhat inbred. I didn't find any any papers on that yet, but I would imagine their their immune genetics are pretty similar. Yeah, I didn't read anything about their MHC immune genetics, but definitely their overall genetic diversity is lower than the African counterparts. Yeah, yeah. So you would expect that. I mean, you expect that when you're down to a few animals. And we talked about that in the Arabian Oryx episode. So, you know, the importance of immunity when you're down to these desperately low numbers and how it can affect them. With all that being said, there's a disease called canine distemper. And and anybody that, that works with cats and dogs, our veterinarian friends or, or vet uh, techs or vet nurses know about this. And even though it says canine, it, it, this is a viral disease that can affect uh, lions, uh, coyotes, obviously the other canids, foxes, coyotes, but also pandas, ferrets, raccoons, pinnipeds. <laughs> so some wow. are, yeah, some are pinnipeds, seals and stuff out in the oceans and some primates, uh, it's a very deadly uh, viral disease. And actually, in 1994, canine distemper outbreak in Serengeti, which I really want to get to. That is on the bucket list for sure. Yes. Well, I was in Tanzania, but uh, (laughs) because I had been in Zambia earlier on that trip with John, and then I flew over to Tanzania to go to Tarangeri Park, I did not have time to go further north to Serengeti. Serengeti. Well, but it's on the bucket list. And this yes. way I can bring John and the kids. And yeah. We'll talk about canine distemper when you go. Get your vaccines. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It does not affect us. It, it, canine distemper does not affect humans, but a thousand lions died from canine distemper. So in 2018, they found 28 lions dead. 18 were really sick in the Asiatic lions in the gear uh, forests. And uh, uh, many others died in 2020, and they assume they've died to this disease. Now, what happens is dogs carry the disease. So feral dogs will find a carcass, or if a lion's made a kill and they come across it, the dogs will eat some of the meat, spread the disease, lions will come back and pick it up. And it's, it's very, very deadly. The good news with this is India is aware of it. And so what they're doing right now is in the testing phase to ensure it's safe. They're testing on other animals. Then they're going to vaccinate the captive population that they have. And then this has led to, so I'll be interested to get your take on this, Angie, vaccinating wildlife because biologists would argue let natural selection take its course, but others are saying, but how do you let that happen when here we are? Oh, nothing have- that we're doing to their population yes. is natural. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would be yeah. on team vaccinate them to give them yeah. a fighting chance without, I say that without reading any pe- papers or talking to any experts. So that that's my gut instinct. Well, I remember when I was at the uh, Lincoln Park Zoo many moons ago, they had a wonderful conservation campaign where they were 
vaccinating the local dogs in different mm-hmm. villages, and I believe in Kenya and in Tanzania, yep. to help slow some of these uh, zoonotic diseases. And so I know that, I mean, that I'm familiar with and obviously for, but as far as vaccinating wildlife, uh, I, I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> But it, when these small, especially with these small populations, it mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Well, yeah, they, they you're you've heard that some of the the people are arguing vaccinate the dogs it helps reduce the spread of the disease, leave the lions alone. Where you know, and that's biolo- true, but it's only going to be so good. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. there's still some are going to slip through the cracks, I would imagine, because depending on what regions you go to, there's yeah, there's not a lot of spaying and neuterings of mm-hmm. uh, of the dogs there, so yeah. it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and Uma Rama Krishnan, hope I'm saying that right. He's a professor of the National Center for Biological Sciences in Bangalore. In India is saying you can't risk this population. These are the last right. yes. Yes. of a of a, of a subspecies, you know, presumably subspecies of lion. These are the last Asiatic lions. You can't let them go extinct, you know, because of human activity and feral dogs being our problem. So, yeah, that, that I, I think India is going down the route of we're going to vaccinate these animals and uh, try to. So that would be interesting to to keep our eyes on i mean chris if you just really stop and think about it this is this is it i mean the asiatic lions have made a historic and incredible comeback unlike my uh detroit lions bump 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 bump. (laughs) yeah 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 they've won anything ever (laughs) uh ever never so (laughs) sorry uh i know i put i put my money on the asiatic lions trust me uh although i i am i I love my Michigan teams, but boy, they're hard to watch sometimes. Or as my dad would always, he'd always say, ah, those bums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he called them bums. Anyways, it, it really is so important to keep an eye on them, keep their numbers growing. And if experts and scientists in the region think that vaccinating them for these diseases will help, I don't know how we can't do it. Besides just thinking about their iconic role as king of the jungle, I mean, Asiatic lions have such an important cultural presence throughout Asia. I mean, you're talking about from Neolithic cave paintings in India, from the half-man, half-lion avatar, Narisima, which is the fourth incarnation of Vishnu. Yes, I love myself some Hindu mythology. Mm-hmm. I studied a lot in college. But, mm-hmm. but also the lion makes an appearance repeatedly in the Bible, Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, Samson and Goliath and the Book of Judges. And then to this present day, the national football team in Iraq is named the Lions of Mesopotamia. So culturally speaking, in Asia, yes, the Asiatic lion is very, very important. And it's just a symbol of hope and conservation and what can be done when people work together. But all over Asia, it's adored and loved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't let it go extinct. You absolutely yeah, can. I mean, it's the Asiatic Lion's a national emblem for India. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Need to need to protect them. I'm all for a team vaccination. I'm sorry. We we messed up. Yeah. Sorry enough. I got in my soapbox there for a minute. Well, I just got, get really passionate know, about these kinds of things. Well, as long as we know it's safe and it, it's, you know, it, 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 until we give them, you know, a larger population, you know, it's a tough thing. It's, it's tough. It's tough. I'm glad I'm not making those decisions. 
I know you and I just get to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> now the other, this was I found fascinating. So you know because one of the things we talked about with male lions is one in eight African lion males do not survive to adulthood, and. In our special episode with Corbin, God, I, and I love seeing him uh, in Idaho. That was so special to to go feed his gators. Uh, yeah, f- freaks me out, but <laughs> I still did it. But I, I remember in that episode, I, you know, I, I was arguing for leopard seal, and I said if I ever came back, I'd want to be a leopard seal because even right now it's winter in New Zealand and it's cold and near freezing, and I'm thinking, oh, it'd be so great just to be a leopard seal out swimming and enjoying this nice, cool pool because I've got all this blubber and I'm nice and warm and nobody messes with me. So I've just got to stay away from orcas. That's about it. I would not want to come back as a, as a lion. It's just so brutal. And yeah. Well, and it's always fascinating, yeah. too, because when you go out on safari and you see them sleeping typically under mm-hmm. a bush, I mean, they're tore up from fights. Yeah. And flies and uh, the beautiful you know, Disney mm-hmm. portraits of uh, you know the Lion King. They don't really look like that in real life. Uh, oh. They do at the zoo sometimes because they're yes. usually so well cared for. Yeah. But yeah, in the wild, it is tough to be a lion. Yeah, very hard. Now, what I found interesting in the 2015 Asiatic Lion Census was they had 523 individuals, so we're up to close to 700 now. 109 males, 200 females, and then the rest sub-adults. But it was a two-to-one ratio on females to males, and I thought, wow, do males sur- have a better chance of survival in these in this gear national forest versus the ones in Africa? So I went a little bit down. Uh, a rabbit hole because I mean the ratio of, of females to males is typically three to one, maybe four to one in Africa, and so I did find a quick little article on becoming king. Why so few males lions survive to adulthood uh, on Life Science, and basically, would, I don't know if we talked about it, but when the young males are kicked out, they're kind of in this no man's land between territories of other males. And a lot of them, these younger males, will stray into territories of the dominant males and the majority of of these lions are killed by dominant males. So again, one to, one, to, one out of eight survive to adulthood. Yeah, it's not a good number. Not a good but statistic. if... If these young ones can skirt these territories and grow enough and get strong enough and be able to eat and find enough food and they're they're savvy enough, then if they go to take over a pride, they'll fight another male lion. And a lot of times those, they fight to the death because, you know, it's, 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 it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard for a male lion. Females will be part of the pride. They stay in the pride. They do all the hunting. So, you know, they're at risk too. Getting kicked, you know, breaking teeth, breaking jaws. I've seen it all uh, on a lot of these uh, wildlife documentaries. But the males, it's just so brutal. Then what really triggered me a little bit, I don't use that as a metaphor, but is imagine this male lion you're savvy enough, you're hardy enough, you, you, you're about to go and maybe take over a pride and then bam, you're killed by a trophy hunter. Like, 
you just got cold out of your genes, your instincts, everything. You just got cold by by a damn trophy hunter. So I know we got a pretty nasty review, which I'm proud of. I should probably print it off and put it on my wall if somebody didn't quite like our tr- our stance on trophy hunting. And I'm sorry if you trophy hunt lions, you don't want to listen to this podcast. I, 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 I don't agree with it. It, it, it's, it's abhorrent to me. Well, I mean, looking I just, at these, looking at these numbers, it's just yeah. not sustainable. Even if they're canned hunts, I would say that those resources should be going into other things, saving the wild, getting yeah. putting putting more back into the wild. It's definitely a different podcast for a different day. Uh, I will I will say that. Uh, but I, I feel your passion, Chris, and I yeah. I and I I get it. And these it's, numbers, yeah. it's just not sustainable. No, it's, uh, it's not. And when we and also too as the species, because we have to remember, lions are the only cats that live in groups called prides. Mm-hmm. So you might have 10 domestic short-haired cats in your house, but they don't really like it and they don't mm-hmm. want to live together. No, They'd rather no. live by themselves. Yeah. And the same thing I'd always get uh, working at the zoo is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these tigers aren't together. Or Why don't they have more than one tiger? Tigers are solitary. They typically don't want to live together mm-hmm. unless it's breeding time. That usually mm-hmm. only happens you know, seasonally. So. Yeah. Uh, but lions do, right? They love to live in their prides. Yeah. And the way that Asiatic and African lions live together in social groups is definitely different. So Chris, those numbers, the the uh, sex ratio numbers are, are very interesting as far as having a, a higher male to female ratio than in the Asiatic population than in the African population. But it might have something to do with how they live. No, before and 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 I do want to talk about the differences in in African and Asiatic lion family groups because it's it's striking striking difference. Just really quick on the trophy hunting and and it's not hunting. We we we've have friends of the of the podcast that are hunters. That is fine. Angie and I aren't talking about well, that. family it, members. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're feeding families. That's fine. Not everybody agrees with that, but but that's different than these trophy hunts where I'm really struggling to find where it's helping conservation. I, I know there are parts of Africa that do. I'm not saying all, but the data just is not there for most of this. And, and the example is the South African lion hunts. I did do a little bit of digging. I mean, most of the trophies are, are exported to the U.S. Uh, from lion hunts. And uh, like 52% of all uh, trophy, lion trophies are exported to the U.S. The others were Spain, Canada, Hungary, and Russia. Those are the big countries. Now, the data shows just out of South Africa, lions, 863 exports per year. So that's 863 lions. It's probably closer to 900 plus because not everybody exports it. Uh, were killed in trophy hunts. So almost 1,000 lions a year in South Africa are killed or were killed for trophy hunts. When you're talking about a population of 20,000 in, in, in the whole world. And the only good data I found out of this was 93% of these, these hunts were either captive bred or were born in captivity. So basically canned hunts in Africa. Now that was a high of over 12, close to 1200 in 2014 with a low in 2018 of 259. 
So I'm assuming there's been a big spotlight on these canned hunts in Africa. So they're trying to do away with it. South Africa's trying to outlaw it or ban canned hunts. And then other countries are trying to put age limits. But again, that's not easy. Putting age limits, like you can only hunt older lions, but that's not always followed. Like Zimbabwe is trying to do that and the data is not very promising. It all led me back to when Cecil was killed. This was an older male with his brother in a pride. He went across the boundary. They shot him because they know the lions go across the boundaries. They were just waiting for him or waiting for one of the big lions. You kill off this large male who survived, who's savvy, who's genetically the best, and you're really hurting lion conservation when you do this. So I there's... It's something we got to look at again, Angie. I mean, it's, it's, I went down this rabbit hole earlier and I just was so fired up again. And I was like, this isn't right. It's not right when you have a, an endangered species and it's muddy. I know it's not black and white, but, anyways. No, it's one thing we've learned on this podcast over the years. Nothing is black and white. It's super complex. That's for sure. Yeah. But I mean, they're definitely not doing these hunts in India and, and no. the Asiatic lion has had an amazing recovery and the and yeah. and will hopefully continue to do that and their population will will grow, especially if they find more protected areas for them to roam. Yeah. So And I'm yeah, sure there, we'll is, get- there is hope. There <laughs> yeah. is hope. But there's some dark stuff out there if you die if you go too if you go if you if you dive too deep yeah. on those on the interwebs there, that's for sure. Well it's the data and, and, and you look at the yeah. data and, and I'm sure I apologize. I mean, you can send us an email, please, if you have data where trophy hunting is helping conservation and, and, and show the studies or the data, because I know there are parts of Africa. I have friends there. They have said, yes, this park, it actually helps conservation. It goes into paying for the, the anti-poaching teams, da, 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 da. Yeah, but I think a lot of them are not with endangered animals. They're, yeah. they're still they're taking big game like kudus and things like that, but they're not necessarily endangered. Lions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and, 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 I mean, I had the cabal is on. Like, we were talking about this game reserve they're setting up for hunting in Mozambique. And I listened to their point of view. And I think what they're doing is wonderful, but you don't need to hunt lions, you know, especially these male lions in the wild. So, overall, the data, the, the data I felt was good that 93% of those hunts were canned, meaning these were lions that were used to being around people, very few wild lions. In South Africa, were killed. So that's I think as far as being yeah. tr- mm-hmm. hunted, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyways, it's <laughs> maybe because that's a whole other podcast. I'm sorry. No, it's just, I appreciate are, your passion, but yeah. it, well, and like I said, this this whole week being just going through those numbers this week over and over in my head that the Asiatic lions six to seven hundred, which do have a great story, of course, mm-hmm. but the Africans only. T- 20,000. It's yeah. just, it's scary. It is. It is. And yeah, we need, we need to. I mean, the lions. iconic lion. I mean, mm-hmm. the list of cultural symbols, I only picked a few. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, it is just, I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's an, anyway. it's an, all creatures are important, but my goodness, like, yeah. arguably, uh, this is a very important keystone top predator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, all right. So and beautiful. <laughs> what led me down that rabbit hole because I wanted to see how male lions were struggling in Africa, and then when I did think about it, this 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 robust 
hardy male lion being killed for a trophy really upset me because it, the, the, the species depends on it. These Asiatic males, why, why might there be so many? Like, because the social structure is so different. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think researchers really know, but we looking at their social structure, it is strikingly different than their African cousins. Because remember, in Africa, lions live in a pride, and the pride will usually consist of many females that are related to one another, and then one dominant male with sometimes one or two subordinate males that are hanging out and not often challenging the the dominant male for breeding rights or anything like that. However, for male Asiatic lions, they are typically solitary. Or they'll associate with up to three males and they form a loose pride of just males. And these male Asiatic lions will hang out together. They'll rest together. They hunt together. They feed together. And they have to hunt because there's no females to hunt for them because mm -hmm. typically, especially with the African lions, the, uh, the females do most of the hunting. Uh, but yep, with these male Asiatic lions, they're hanging out with their buddies and just getting along. And it's, so it's called a coalition of males. And within this coalition of Asiatic male lions, there is some hierarchy with one male maybe being a little bit more dominant than some of the others. But overall, they, they get along really, really well. So very, very interesting. And I have a few more points to talk about that in a second. But the female Asiatic lions will hang out and their numbers can reach anywhere from five to 12. And they form a pretty strong pride together that help take care of all the cubs and then will share food, hunt with each other, but stay away from the males unless it's pretty much breeding time. So when it is breeding time, they'll associate with the males for a few days, but they will not live with them and they, you, they do not feed or hunt together, mm -hmm. which once again is completely different than the African lions. So just, I went, Chris, so the rabbit hole I decided to go down was this male coalition. I found a really cool paper from uh, 2017 called Selfish Partners, Resource Partitioning in Male Coalitions of Asiatic Lions. Uh, and it was in behavioral ecology with Sotra and colleagues. Uh, great, great paper. And, and for the record, too, a quick sidebar is I was really impressed with there was a, uh, the amount of research that has been and is currently being done uh, for Asiatic uh, Alliance. So there's a lot of researchers and conservation groups and people out there wanting data, wanting to understand more about their behavior, and a lot of ecology data about how they use the land that they're on. And uh, yeah, so that also gives me a lot of hope because sometimes some of these species you and I cover, there'll be like one morphology paper and behavior paper from the 70s, which is still mm. good science and good, but it's uh, there's not a lot of updated stuff where with Asiatic lions, there, there's some really awesome articles to, to pick from. And I chose this week to learn about these adult Asiatic lions that uh, they were being studied for over four years in the uh, western part of the gear protected area, trying to look at their different behaviors and who hangs out with who and why they do and the results of this four-year like behavioral study were really fascinating. And it just showed that uh, the male Asiatic lions in the western part of, this, of the gear forest 
are really plastic and able to adapt. Mm -hmm. So yes, they will live and coalesce with other males and form groups of two or three that will hang out together and hunt together and use each other to help survive. But depending on the situation, they can also hang out by themselves and not necessarily share food with any others. So it's really interesting. And the researchers thought, okay, we probably need more data, but it looks like the Asiatic lions, the males, are able to survive either way, which mm -hmm. is just, it's just really, really fascinating. And just to back up the bus a little bit, when we talk about coalition uh, and, and animals, you see it all throughout the animal kingdom uh, in several species where animals partner up. I mean, for instance, you have chimpanzees and you know these large groups of animals that will help each other. So researchers think these coalitions or partnerships form in males for three different reasons. Number one, kin selection. So they're like potentially related to them. So helping them, helping one another helps them pass on their genes. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is reciprocal altruism. So that's where cooperation actually improves the chances of future benefits between partners. So I help them now, they help me later, this kind of reciprocal altruism. The last one is called selfish support, which this coalition or partnership provides an immediate benefit to the donor, and that's why they want to do it. And so interestingly enough, other than non-human primates like chimpanzees, coalition is most, is most studied in African lions. And so it's just, there's a lot of papers on it. Super, mm -hmm. super cool. But researchers speculate that the reason it's seen more frequently in these Asiatic populations with males hanging out together and helping each other than in the African populations is probably just because there are smaller numbers in general of, of lions around while their numbers were lower, a bigger range to hang out in and so and smaller groups of females too so there's just not as much competition and then so when these coalition of males come to females that are in estrus they all have breeding rights and it just works out mm -hmm. hunky-dory there's not all these like like you talked earlier in the podcast some of these gnarly fights that the male the african the male african lions have to go through to win females and breed females to pass on their gen genetics and sometimes fight till their death that's I'm not saying that that's not seen at all ever in Asiatic lions. I mean, they're not like they're not like the bonobos of lions or anything. They're not mm -hmm, like super mm -hmm. super peaceful. Mm -hmm. But there's more than enough females to go around for them, and these coalitions offer them other benefits. So, just super fascinating, no, it right? Is. And it is. And, it is. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg understanding. I mean, a lot of these papers I was reading are coming out in the last like four or five years. So, and then learning that they're so flexible that they can hang out with males, they can hang out by themselves. I mean, when you think of all the, all the different pressure these Asiatic lions have had to endure over the last 5,000 years with human activity and encroachment and taking their land and dwindling their numbers down mm -hmm. and all that, and then now building them back up, it, it's, it's cool that they are able to have some uh, behavioral adaptations to figure out how to survive, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just fascinating. Well, then just some of the other differences, 
what they they eat. I mean, they're pretty similar. I mean, they're carnivores, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. they gorge themselves like anything else. It's just they're yeah, like twenty it. pounds of meat a day. Yeah, yeah, and or I heard they can they can eat up to a hundred pounds. I I I have what question mark question mark question mark on my slide notes. I don't know if you came across that. I I know in the African lions they can eat upwards of that, like over forty kilograms of of meat. Okay. They, because wow. they get those big guts and they just sleep it off. It's that's sure. what they do. Mm-hmm. It's it's just the the other thing is they do hunt livestock, you know, buffaloes and cows. So that's part of their diet. And like we said earlier, the locals are are behind that. And like you said in some of the videos and stuff, they they have compensation in place. And but I've also read though that as uh, the wild ungulates are coming back to the region. Mm-hmm in higher numbers that that is helping uh, the Asiatic lions in the gear protected area have enough prey that they're not yep. necessarily having to go to the more urban areas. Mm-hmm. But now that the numbers of lions are climbing, which is a good thing that is then pushing some of them to the outer bounds, to the more urban areas just to kill livestock. But I do believe if, if I read it correctly, that in general, the numbers of livestock that are being taken down by Asiatic lions is lower than it used to be. Yeah. Even yeah. as it their numbers sense. are yeah. even as their numbers are climbing. Yeah, and it, but it makes sense with all the other ungulates coming back in there, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that they eat. So any other behaviors or want to lead that into reproduction, you know, breeding behaviors and you know the the males. Well, and the other thing to think about too when it comes to like nutrition and hunting with lions in general, both Asiatic and African lions is a uh, hunt is typically only successful like 30% of the time. So seven out of 10 times that they're spending all that energy chasing mm-hmm. some antelope down, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not coming home with any food. They're not, they're not filling their bellies. So it is hard work to be a lion out there. And that's, and then that's why they do sleep a lot, sleep mm-hmm. a lot because mm-hmm. they have spend a lot of time running and hunting. So yes, it, it, it can be hard to be a lion. Otherwise, I have to highlight the lion's roar as we opened with it on this podcast. Mm. Uh, the Asiatic lion roar can be heard up to five miles away, and it's used to help them claim their territory and communicate with other pride members. And it is music to my ears. Even when I was in a tent in Tanzania, I still loved hearing it. Uh, we also had people helping patrol our tented area, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I still slept pretty good. But but then, of course, uh when you when I get to see them under human care and they're just sitting on their rocks and they're just going back and forth vocalizing, it's just it's it's, it's like none other. I mean, really, I know, it's, I know. it's really can't be bone rattling though. It's so loud. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Beautiful though, right? Yeah. But if you're is, really if you're really is. in it, yeah, it'll it'll it's very very powerful. And then any differences in breeding between say like Asiatic versus African lions. Nothing, nothing too much that I came across, except for that the males and females don't live together. So typically, Asiatic lions will breed between October and November. And when males and females are hanging out to breed, it'll be for about three to six days. And during this time, they are focused on the mission at hand and they will not hunt, uh, but they will usually go to a water watering hole to drink water. And so the Asiatic lioness, when she is an estrus and she's accepting males into her territory for breeding, uh, her her behaviors are going to be similar similar to most of our felids. So the female lion will be very active, uh, walking around, running around a lot. She will also lay without 
it's a, it's a different type of laying where she doesn't fully support all of her weight on her legs. So she's kind of like slightly propped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yes. The big kitties, they love to roll on their back with their paws mm-hmm. in the air, rolling from side to side. Uh, vocalization. So females can be very vocal, too, when they're uh, when they're in estrus. The call is a little bit different. It's going to be more of like a short, repetitive call. And it's usually accompanied by that rolling behavior. And then females will urine spray to help get their her pheromones out into the universe. And she usually does that with the tail raised and against a vertical structure like a tree or a rock or something. And then, of course, one of my favorite estrus behaviors for our felids are rubbing. So uh, they'll rub their face, head, neck, or flanks on any objects that they can find. Uh, it might be a tree, a log, a rock. Uh, so, yeah, just just exhibiting to the male that they are uh, that they are ready to be bred. And so they'll also stand in this uh, lordosis position, which is basically exhibiting that the female is in, is in a copulatory posture and ready to be bred by the male. Mm-hmm. So, and if the male is smart and he's picking up on everything she's putting down and they breed, uh, he will go his own way, with, whether it's with his coalition or solitary on his own. And the gestation for the Asiatic lion is about 110 days. And she'll give birth to anywhere from one to four cubs. And the cubs, of course, are protected by mom and then the aunties or the cousins uh, that are also in their pride. And the cubs really don't become independent until they're about two years old. And that's when the subadult males will leave the natal pride and they're either solitary or nomads basically until they either get a male coalition or they just keep hanging out by themselves. Mm-hmm. The cubs are everybody's favorite. They're always so fun to watch because they're very playful and they are typically raised by all the lionesses in the pride. So all the females will help take care of them. And then a lot of times there's several lactating females, which will feed all the cubs. Yeah. So definitely a, a group effort with the females, right? Because with Asiatic lions, the males, he's, he's not involved at all. Where the African lion, the male is definitely involved and hangs out with them and will play with them. And it's always so, so cute to watch an adult male lion play with a little cub. It's, mm-hmm, African. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. So, so cute. Chris, the other thing to point out with the Asiatic lions is that their generation interval is... 24 months, so about two years. So a female puts a lot of investment into raising those cubs. Uh, and then she won't have another litter, basically a litter every other year if things yeah. are going as they should. Yep. So when we talk about numbers rebounding, it's it, it, it does take a while. And then as you mentioned too, it's hard, it's tough to grow up to be an adult male lion with all the hardships and, you mm-hmm. know, female as well. So... That's why their numbers are have rebounded, which is awesome, but uh, it still takes a while. Yeah. And I mean, when you're talking 13 years ago, there was 400 and here we are at 700, which is great. It's it's great. It's all positive. I mean, all, all the news is positive, but you're not jumping 100 plus lines a year. It's it's a few dozen that hopefully survive and then go. And, th- and there are still a lot of challenges with them that we've talked about. You know, they are endangered, but like I said, disease is a problem. Still some conflicts with humans, not just the locals, but others. They are being poached every now and then. So that is a problem. 
And then like we're talking about when it's full, this forest is full of lions. Where do they go? You know, can, can we get them back to reintroduce to the Caucasus or parts of Southwest Asia, you know, in the Middle East and, and Arabia? I don't think they're going to want lions back, but you never know. You never know. Right. Well, Chris, there are some areas that have been identified uh, for the Asiatic Reintroduction Project. Uh, so it's just getting them there, getting it started. When's it going to start? And they and this project is a big deal uh, and supported nationally. But I mean, they had to relocate a lot of families from 16 different villages from one of the areas they're talking mm-hmm. about doing it mm-hmm. in the Kuno Wildlife Sanctuary. So it's it's a big big undertaking, and of course, there's always issues along the way. But but hopefully they'll figure it out because I would just love to cover the species again in a couple of years and only have good news for them or get a or get an expert from India that works either at the Wildlife Institute of India or is a team member on the Asiatic Lion Reintroduction Project uh, because it'd be, I think it'd be really interesting to hear their story and and how they are going to move forward. I know it seems very unanimous and very hopeful that these Asiatic lions have support from almost all of India, but then, okay, now what? Yeah. How, what do we yeah. what do we do with them? So yeah, yeah it's a so far a great conservation story to be continued. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we we mentioned it a, a while back in India, they're reintroducing cheetah or trying to. I know there's some. Yes, that's that. another one. Yeah, I thought about reaching out to somebody doing that project because mm-hmm. that's pretty mm-hmm. fascinating and a big, big, big undertaking. Yeah, huge. It has massive. a lot of na- that that uh, is, is a not a, a black and white issue. It's very complex. As well, and but it's in another part of India that they're they're trying to do mm-hmm. that. So I mean, hats off to India. It's they're doing wonderful for their their wildlife. I know there's a lot of challenges there, but you know this story, the Bengal tiger, which we may cover in its own podcast in the future. Their recovery in parts of India has been spectacular, and it's a lot of not just the government, but the will of the people, and then these conservation organizations that are working so hard. So who are we going to highlight uh, this week? Uh, Today, I want to give a shout out to WWF India and their initiatives to really support and partner with uh, the local people in the Guharat Forest Department area. And they've been working with farmers and basically just trying to strengthen efforts of the gear protected area and figuring out how to manage any human lion conflict and or poaching. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, WWF World Wildlife Fund in India. Uh, check them out, give them a follow, show your support uh, because I'm trying to track down uh, one of their scientists now, not necessarily for lions, but from another very famous and iconic species in India. So hopefully stay tuned for that here in the future, but uh, they're they're a wonderful group and they're really supporting a lot of India's wildlife initiative, especially with Asiatic lions. Oh, absolutely. They are. So hats off to everybody that that's fighting for these animals. And, you know, hopefully you got some of this podcast and, and, and fires in your belly uh, to, to want to help. And if you ever can afford uh, to travel one day to parts of the world, you know, try to get to India and, and see some of their wildlife I know that's an area definitely on my bucket list, as well as Africa, but getting to these parts of Asia and and see these spectacular animals. 
Yeah, fascinating story, Angie. Great pick this week, Angie. Thanks for bringing the passion and, and, and doing the deep dives this week. Thanks, Chris. And thank you to our listeners. Stay curious. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.